You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. Tonight, we're going to talk about a forgotten war on a Muslim country, Sudan, that the United States did by proxy, not with boots on the ground. The war in Sudan continues today, even after the country split in two with the formation of South Sudan, and that was in 2011. As we often have said as we hold these truths, the United States of America has a war-based economy. There's no question we have the military to back it with a robust armament industry. In order to have these wars, there must be planning done by the executive branch. The president is the commander-in-chief of the military. The operations center of the military is the Pentagon. With such a large bureaucracy, leaks do occur. And we've seen many, many leaks over the years, including WikiLeaks, who actually substantiates what I'm going to talk about here. And these people that spill the beans are known as whistleblowers. And one such whistleblower is kind of unique is retired General John Wesley Clark, who was the commander of the Operation Allied Force in the Kosovo War during his term as the Supreme Allied Commander Europe of NATO from 1997 to 2002. In 2007, after his retirement, General Clark started to speak out about the war planning aspect of the U.S.'s ongoing serial wars. Now, here's a short clip from an interview on Democracy Now! on March 2, 2007. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz, I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the Joint Staff who had used, used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, "Sir, you got to come in. You got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, "Well, you're too busy." He said, "No, no." He says, "We've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq." This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, "We're going to war with Iraq. Why?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> He said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. So I came back to see him a few weeks later. And by that time, we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. So go through the countries again? Well, starting with Iraq, then Syria and Lebanon, then Libya, then Somalia and Sudan, and then back to Iran. Well, as of this date, General Clark's statement has proved predictive of every aggressive war the U.S. has commenced, with the exception of Iran, which is under sanction and the constant threat of war. One of the wars 
that is little known uh, was a war against Sudan that resulted in the country being split into two countries, Sudan and South Sudan. We will be discussing this tonight. We hold these truths began its defense of Sudan at least six years before General Clark actually made his whistleblowing announcements, and we're going to talk about this tonight. So in this case, history reveals much. In Syria today, the U.S. has clearly funded ISIS through Syrian opposition. Our unelected war-making bureaucracy relied upon mercenaries to carry out its war upon Sudan. An interesting side to what happened to Sudan was the use of Christian Zionists to discredit the Sudanese government so that Americans would not find the destruction of this third world country to be too abhorrent. Sudan was pictured as a slave trading government that suppressed blacks, even though Sudan's government itself was all black, although it was a Muslim country. Christian Zionists were used as propagandists to discredit Sudan so no one would defend it, much as they are used today to discredit the Palestinians, or we call Palestinians, in Gaza, in all Arabs and Muslims everywhere, so that we will not defend their right to life. So with that introduction, I want to turn it over to Chuck to talk about the forgotten war in Sudan. Chuck? Well, yes, Wesley Clark's statement is almost surprising that he included Sudan because we hardly even think of Sudan being a war. But back in the 1980s, a Chevron oil company made a large oil discovery in Sudan. At that time, the price of oil was very cheap. Gasoline was selling at well under a dollar a gallon, and there was not a mad race to open new oil fields. The Sudanese government however, recognized the value of the field, and eventually they kicked out Chevron and nationalized the oil field. They simply said, we're going to find a partner and we'll produce it ourselves. Eventually, they did end up producing that oil, and it is flowing today, and uh, their partner for at least for a time was China. But we really don't know what's happening today because those oil fields were in the southern part of Sudan. It's a very large country. And uh, the United States, for reasons hard to understand, began to back an ongoing revolution that was from external sources. It was headed by one John Garang, uh, who was an American, educated, black African. And he came from an adjacent state. Uh, I think maybe it was Kenya, but I'm not sure. Anyway, he led this revolution. The revolution, of course, would have failed promptly, except that it got mysteriously backed by several Western countries, including the United States. And, of course, this was all unannounced at the time we noticed it. Tom and I and some others took note of the fact that Christians in the United States were suddenly raising money to buy the freedom of slaves who they said were being enslaved by the government of Sudan. And we happened to notice this because of a fluke, an accident, someone we, we knew who was in on this scam, and uh, we recognized right away that there was something wrong with the story. It just didn't add up. Well, it took uh, years for this story to really unfold. And during that time, the slave trade in southern Sudan was used to discredit the government so that no one would care 
that the uh, U.S. spent a lot of money trying to depose the government of Sudan that was headed by a man named Bashar. Bashar. That was his surname. He is still the president of Sudan. The irony of the phony slave trading was that there were no slaves. But because the U.S. government and others were supporting the idea of discrediting Sudan, it built its way into a boom. And there are probably people listening to this program today who actually contributed money to buying slaves. In fact, one of our members actually, just to show it could be done, put up $35 to buy the freedom of the slave in Sudan. He knew there was no slave. He knew he was throwing away his $35, but he really just wanted to see if they would really cash the check. And they did. Uh, later, it was exposed by some of the slave traders themselves that it was a scam. Supposed slaves were volunteers who were being paid to act like slaves. They were placed under trees. Pictures were taken. Those photographs were circulated in churches all over America. And uh, the number of slaves at one time was estimated to be so high that one major church that we knew about and that we argued with said it had been the largest single fundraiser that they had ever raised. They were buying slaves for the unheard of price of only $35 each, supposedly. Of course, this is an example of how a propaganda campaign promoted by a government can actually be picked up by business, and I'm calling these evangelical churches that were doing this businessmen, and it involves some very prominent ones which we ended up holding vigils at at a later time. Rod Parsley was one of the primary persons in the slave freedom movement, and his very large church raised money for literally hundreds of thousands of slaves, all for a scam that never did exist, that was done strictly for the purpose of discrediting a government. So this yeah. is kind of the history of Southern Sudan and the slave trade. Yes. Well, the interesting thing is you forgot to mention is that the context or what if this was wrapped around was that in the South, it was Christian of Sudan, that these were Christians. Now, there were some Christians there, but the predominant religion was animism. And so, but that was the pretext that the Muslims in the North were mistreating the Christians in the South. So that was one of the things to pull people into this scheme. Yeah, it was generally given the impression to Americans who didn't know any better that the northern part of Sudan was occupied by Arabs, who are, of course, Caucasians, and that the southern part was occupied by blacks, who were Negroid, and that uh, evil uh, northern Muslims were imprisoning the southern innocent blacks so it was a very much played up as a racial issue, which helped to make the scam really work out. Some people actually traveled to Sudan, to Khartoum, met the government, and was amazed to see that they were the same color as uh, were the people who were in southern Sudan. Yes, you're right. Uh, it was played up as a racial thing and also a religious thing. And it turned out that the missionary effort in southern Sudan was so minute that there were very, very few religious Christians in southern Sudan. And as a matter of fact, there were a large number of animist people there, non-religious non tribes at all, that had never been reached even by the Muslims. Here we have this incredible story of the discrediting effort of the government, the underground funding of the revolution that had no other reason to be. And eventually what happened is the government of Sudan gave up. 
They essentially said, wait a minute, we'll give you the oil, just leave us be, and they agreed to a division, and now there are officially two Sudans, Northern Sudan and Southern Sudan. Now, if you look carefully and do a little Google search, you'll find out that there's a constant civil war going on in Southern Sudan because various tribes are, of course, in this almost ungoverned country, are fighting for who's going to end up with the mineral wealth there, the oil wealth. So now we go back to Wesley Clark and we find out why did our government put Sudan on this pit list way back in, what was it, 203? 201. 201, okay. We found them on the hit list back in 1998 when we found out that this movement was getting started. So it had been going on a long time before they made the official hit list of countries that were going to be destroyed. But the real story had to do with, number one, an independent Islamic government, and number two, a lot of oil that was being controlled outside of the normal method, and that being divide the oil up with the major international oil companies and then let them pay royalties to the state, but they own the oil. Sudan simply did not go along with that, and they ended up losing the oil and half of their country in the process. Well, now, Chuck, uh, they didn't actually lose the total of the oil because the pipelines flow north. The South Sudan is landlocked, so unless they build pipelines elsewhere, the oil fields go into pipelines that go into the north and then out of the country. Yes, and I can't say that uh, we are really uh, informed now about exactly how the oil flow is going and, and when what what the situation is economically with Sudan. It has been overshadowed by these enormously important wars that we've seen all around Israel. But uh, it is an example of the link that the world powers now will go to control any independent country. At one time under Bill Clinton, the United States actually bombed Khartoum. I guess it's at least a 1,000 miles north of the oil fields. And uh, it is the capital of, of Sudan. And there in Khartoum, there was a pharmaceutical plant that made a very vital antibiotics and inoculations for animals as well as humans. And for some reason, under Bill Clinton, it was decided that this plant was a threat. And maybe just to get the attention of the government, the United States government sent cruise missiles in and completely destroyed the only pharmaceutical plant in the whole country, in this whole country, which is, which is a malaria country, a yellow fever country. Uh, it's hard to even get a pass to go there. But this ongoing war effort that Wesley Clark talked about and that others have talked about, in which he mentioned Sudan as being one of the target countries, we just happened to know why they were a target country, and that we were, it was something we happened to know about years before Wesley Clark even mentioned it. And even before Sudan, Chuck, we were in Somalia and were eventually got out of there. So that was one of the countries also on the, the list there. On the hit list, I can't say that I really know the upshoot of what happened is to the Somalis, but that was where we lost the helicopter. Yes, but it was another war on a Muslim country, and there's still fighting going on today in these countries where they're being fragmented. So I believe Wesley Clark's story. I, I think somebody did tell him, hey, we have a list of the countries we're going to destroy in the next five years. 
it took a little longer, but uh, and they still haven't finished off Iran, and that's our task is to make sure that doesn't happen. And uh, strange things happen. Now Russia has entered into the picture, and the question is, is the United States going to have to start an incident with Russia to challenge Russia to all-out war in order to carry out this planned destruction and total control over the Middle East and all of its oil and all of the people who live there. Craig, do you have any thoughts you'd like to add? Well, it's, it's interesting, guys. I just did research on USA, CIA, and Sudan, and up pops an article that came out in uh, February of this year, and it says Sudan's president claims CIA and Mossad stand behind ISIS and Boko Haram. So the president himself, al-Bashir, is, is coming out and talking about the CIA and the Mossad's involvement in uh, splitting up his country. Wow, quite interesting. We also have with us tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the famous slave freer, Travis Steele. And thanks for ex- helping us expose this to Travis. <laughs> hey, you're, you're certainly welcome. <laughs> well, Travis is the man who did buy the slave. He's the only one of us who ever bought a slave. And I understand he wanted delivery, but they would not make delivery of the slave. <laughs> <laughs> They got on to me, Chuck, by the time we got to that negotiation. (laughs) (laughs) A schoolgirl here in Denver, Colorado, who uh, was so moved by what was going on in her sixth grade class, she started taking up the fun, and she went around and she ended up collecting enough money to free a slave uh, from her sixth grade class. It it uh, It was actually some considerable amount of money. And so people were so moved by all of this idea of the uh, of the slave movement being started all over again by the Islamics in northern Sudan that uh, that the school actually allowed the teacher and the little girl to uh, raise money from the grade school class. We have uh, a number of articles written in the past for linking some of them, not all of them. I'm sure we had maybe as many as 20 articles over the years about Sudan. But we are linking a half a dozen on uh, on this broadcast, and when you listen to it, you'll see them, and you'll be able to go to these old stories. They're quite interesting to look at, and uh, I, I too, when I look at them, am quite amazed. Uh, at the time this started, uh, the price of oil was $28 a barrel, and the president uh, said that this, this high price necessitated the United States actually selling out of the national reserves because of the high price. Subsequently, because so many of these Middle Eastern countries were pulled out of the oil production business, as was the case of both Libya and Iraq, that the price of oil was run up all the way to $100 a barrel. So it's caused this enormous disturbance. It's now caused the, uh, all kinds of changes in the way automobiles are made because of the high prices. All of this uh, resulted from the tampering with of the production of oil all over the Middle East, where there was a lot of it and all that. And Almost every one of these countries that was targeted was in some way either involved in in transportation of oil, production of oil, uh, as in the case of Iraq and Iran. And the strangling of the oil supply resulted in horrible expenses that we had for years when we saw high-priced fuels that didn't have to be. Now suddenly we have plunging prices because uh, these countries are getting back in it and other fields have been opened. The tampering with the Middle Eastern Oil-producing countries has cost every American an enormous amount that we don't even begin to 
realize or, or know about, and uh, all of it probably done to a large degree to facilitate control by these seven sister oil companies we used to talk about years ago, who basically do control the world's supply of oil, pretty much. So behind all of these wars, don't forget, there's an economic reason, a purpose there that is not good for us, and that is, is constantly there. And what we must always keep in mind is that we cannot listen to the words of politicians and think that they know or knew or, or were directly involved because these hard decisions about making war are oftentimes made at a level that, where the president doesn't even hear about it or he hears a, uh, a warped version. Uh, recently, Tony Blair, former prime minister of Great Britain, was pinned down on an interview. Was he ready to apologize for uh, lying to his constituency and dragging them into the Iraq war? And he simply said, well, we simply suffered from, I, am, I do apologize for being uninformed. We simply suffered from bad information. We were given bad intelligence. So the intelligence and the, these programs are cranked up at levels where presidents and congressmen are not really privy to them. They should be smart enough to figure it out, though. If we can figure it out, why can't they? Sure. Absolutely. One other thing, guys, we, we, we talk about this a lot. There's no question that the CIA, USA, however you want to divide it up, is involved in regime changes all around the world. just came across another article entitled America's Coup Machine Destroying Democracy Since 1953. I think it's just like we've gone full circle now with the Shah of Iran, took out Mossadegh and installed the Shah, and now here we are coming back to Iran again. It's just a sad, sad tale. You know, we should, our military, we should be supporting our country, defending our country, but instead we're supporting and building up these multinational corporations and doing their bidding. And I, I don't know how we're going to get the word out to um, change things because our politicians are bought and paid for by these same corporations. Well, my answer to that, Craig, is that people have to start using their common sense. That's how we deduce these things. We have never received any inside information from any any people like John or Wesley Clark did, it took someone telling him this was going on for him to understand it. We've had to figure it out for ourselves. There are a lot of people who do have it figured out. The general public just isn't ready to listen and to believe it. So we have to wait until the time that they are. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.